0: Matthew chapter 9, let's see, J.D., can you turn on this TV? I can't even, like, turn on my phone anymore, I'm getting so old. <laughs> Matthew chapter 9, if you have your bulletin inside, there is a place to take notes. Um, I want to encourage you guys, take some notes. Um, when when I'm sitting listening to a sermon, I like to take notes to think about later. Uh, and to be honest with you, um, sometimes as... Pastor J.D. is sharing or something like that, something will really convict me or, or I'll just get onto a tangent and kind of develop a thought that I feel like the Lord's, you know, put on my heart and I kind of tune J.D. out sometime and go on that tangent, sorry J.D. But um, the notes is a good place to, that you could kind of follow along and, and get some thoughts on and some, you know, doodles that go along with the sermon if you're an artist and things like that. Uh, but I'm going to be asking some questions and giving you guys some time to think through a couple of things. So uh, make use of that. And uh, our series is Becoming a Contagious Christian. And last week we talked about how there's different methods and methodologies of how to share your faith. And those are fine. But at the core of it, if you have a love and passion for Jesus... You can't keep that to yourself. It flows out of you. And my goal from last week and in this whole series is that you would have such a affection and love and passion for Jesus that that would come out, that you would not bushel it, but allow it to flow out into, the, into your relationships with the people that you love that need to know him. Um, so that's kind, of the, that's kind of the goal here. But i got a question for you to start out. And I'll give you about 20 seconds to write, write down a thought or think through it. The question is this. When you think of sharing Jesus, what do you picture? If I was to say, go out and share Christ with someone, what would come to your mind? What would you picture with that? Give you guys a few seconds to think, and, and if you're bold enough to share, share what your thoughts are on that. Any thoughts? Any thoughts? When you picture sharing your faith, what do you picture? Last service, I was too quick with the questions. So I was giving you guys more time. Trying to make it a little awkward. Mm-hmm. Very good. Very good. Yeah, some might some might picture as well as that. Uh, picture a man on a corner preaching. Or you might picture some kind of tense conversation with someone or maybe even a sales pitch or a lecture. You know, picture sitting with someone being like, okay, I'm about to launch in the Jesus gear. And you're going to, boom, just lay out the full, you know, spiritual beans on them. Ever hear of Rob Bell before? Anybody ever watch a NUMA video from Rob Bell? If you raise your hand, you're not. We won't call you a heretic or anything like that. But some of us have watched these NUMA videos. He had one called Mr. Blowhorn Guy. And what he did the entire video series was to talk down about street preaching and, and talk about how nobody wants to hear some guy in a bullhorn preaching. There are there are some street preachers that have been, made me feel a little cringy inside. But there's others that there was one guy, and I think I've mentioned this before, in Chicago, he had such a love and such a gentle tone. And he would stand on a corner, and he would talk about Jesus and share Jesus. I was so envious of that passion and, and that love and that gentleness that he, he was much different than the caricature street preacher. Man, I used to bring him iced tea and food because I was kind of jealous and envied how good he was at that. I've read a lot of books on evangelism, and a lot of books a lot of authors speak negatively about different methods of sharing your faith. In fact, they, I've read about every way to share faith spoken negatively or evilly, evil about. I've read in some of these books that it's wrong to do street preaching. I've read that it's wrong to go door to door. I've read it's wrong to have direct conversation. With someone, I've read it's wrong to do relational evangelism. I've read it's wrong to hand out tracts. I've read i have read that it is wrong to do a caring and sharing outreach. It's called the social gospel, and a lot of evangelicals uh, talk down about the social gospel of of doing acts of service to to share Christ. Just about everything else is put down for the author's better way of doing things. And knowing some of these authors, their way is not actually a way of doing things, it's more of a complaint about how people actually do things. So they're sitting around complaining, but they're not doing anything about it. And I don't like their way of doing things. But what happens is they talk negatively, don't do this, don't, you don't wanna do this, this is a bad idea, nobody's gonna like this. What, what, for me that, that makes everything too complicated in evangelism. And really that smells like Satan to me. Satan likes to confuse and keep you pinned down and, and put a bushel on any attempts you're gonna make. So it leaves Christians after they read these books thinking, Well, I can't do it that way, I shouldn't do it that way. That way make me look I should and instead of being empowered and excited about talking about Jesus, their Lord, they feel pressured to be quiet until they have a perfect method to do it i think that's unfortunate last week we talked about do you love jesus are you excited and passionate for him this week i want to share with you a story of a man actually a couple men who were so excited about jesus and what he had done for them that they did some amazing things and i want to brainstorm some ideas of how you could overflow into the lives of other people. So there's some notes in there to take. Uh, there's there's going to be some practical ways to overflow um, in your world, in your sphere of influence. But I have a question for you, and I'm, I'm going to give you guys a moment and write this down. Um, unless you're super evangelist, you don't have to, like, win the entire county to Christ. But are there three people this year in 2019 that the Lord keeps laying on your heart? Maybe even one, if you have one person or three people that you would be willing to this year to, um, I think the Lord will put them on your heart. And, and during the sermon, think of maybe who that would be. But someone that you could pour some focused energy and and invest some time and invest some conversation in and, and pour into a little bit this year. Is there one or three people? There's a popular song um, well, it was popular probably like 70 years ago. <laughs> it was uh, titled, Each One Reach One. And I would like that to be a motto, at least in my life this year. Each one, reach one. Who is that person the Lord is laying on my heart to pour into uh, this year and, the, and to share Jesus freely with this year? So during the sermon, write down who are those three people and think of them uh, through the sermon this morning. The context of Matthew 9 is the same as last week. They're in Capernaum, and if you look at the map, Capernaum is on the north, northwest side of the Sea of Galilee. It is a religious center. It is a place of fishing, blue-collar type of place, and um, uh, the Lord was very important to these people here. Uh, it was also a center for collecting taxes, and last week's uh, story was further in Matthew, so... This week we're kind of going backward, and and same place, and Matthew's or Jesus is going to get into a conversation with the Pharisees, and you need to know a little bit about the Pharisees. The Pharisees were known to the Jews as, if we were to use common words to them, it would be they are the separatists. The Pharisees in the um, in the Old Testament times, God gave His six hundred thirty three laws, and for instance the religious leaders would get a command from the lord like do not work on the sabbath day so they were responsible to sit down and discuss okay what does it look like to work on the sabbath day you know like like can we like wash our chariots on the sabbath day or or what do we do so they would meet together and kind of draw a fence around what is considered they would define what work is and the pharisees were known to have big fences they would keep building bigger and bigger fences so that they didn't violate the lord's laws and sadly a lot of times they would make that fence so big that if jesus or god himself came face to face with them they would think he was a heretic right is that kind of what they did with jesus there and they they would make these fences so high and so strong to keep from violating god's laws that a lot of times they would totally trample on the more important things of love and mercy and caring for people, all right? So those are the Pharisees. They're the separatists, and we still have them today in our culture. Um, We'll dig into that in a little bit. Matthew 9, verse 1. Let's dig into the passage together. And getting into a boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought him to him a paralytic lying on a bed and when jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic take heart my son your sins are forgiven the common assumption in this culture was that sin results in physical suffering he sinned and that is why he is paralyzed was the common view so this guy must have been a sinner if he was paralyzed right that was the view back then now when Jesus says your sins are forgiven you can't miss something very important that he's saying here he uses the present tense for are and uh, I was reading Holman's commentary and and just from my own studies as well what he is saying here is your sins are forgiven now because of Jesus' words and as a result of Jesus seeing his faith now When he said, my son, your sins are now forgiven. Do you know what he was saying? Don't miss this. He is saying, I, Jesus, am the Lord. He is claiming to be in a position or to be deity himself. We can't miss that about the son. He's making it clear, I am the Lord, and I have the authority to forgive you. now verse 3 and behold some of the scribes said to themselves this man's blasphemy but jesus knowing their thoughts said why do you think evil in your hearts for which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or to say rise up and walk obviously it's your sins are forgiven right but that you may know for certain no that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, rise up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid. And they glorified God. They started, they started shouting Hebrew blessings. Blessing God for giving such authority to men. Now, a little context here is that Jesus is telling this, told this man, your sins are forgiven. Rise, pick up your pallet, and walk. This created a buzz. Um, Capernaum's not that huge. Everybody the Pharisees would have known, the people would have known this man was really paralyzed. They it wasn't that large of an area, okay? And so this would have created a huge buzz. This is a huge miracle. Jesus is saying you're forgiven, then he heals a known paralyzed man he does a miraculous sign so that everybody knows without a doubt that he can back up what he's saying all right so that's what's happening here now last week we talked about the four heart soils in Matthew 13 before we got to in between those two things you know what the pharisees did to him they said if you really are who you say you are show us a sign What did did he just do here? He just gave them a huge sign. What does that tell you about the Pharisees' hearts? It's blind. It's closed. It's deaf. He just did a sign. And then you're asking for another one. Jesus is saying, I'm not going to be your puppet here. I have given you this. And you know what? The only sign you're going to see now is that the the, the sign of Jonah, I'm going to be risen in three days. That's He's done a sign. They didn't believe. They want another one. Do you think they're going to believe here? They're not going to believe here. Their hearts are shut off to him. They've created such fences that they can't see the Lord when the Lord stood right before their eyes. They missed it. Jesus, by this time, was well known in Capernaum. He had just healed a centurion's, who's, by the way, a Gentile, servant. Jesus just healed Peter's mother-in-law who had a very high fever. He was known to be a healer. He was also known to be a teacher with Schmeichah. In other words, he had authority and he had power. He wasn't a lame teacher. He spoke with a boldness and he spoke with authority and with power. And people were drawn to Jesus. Verse 9 says, As Jesus passed on from there, he saw, by the way, the word saw is not glanced at. He studied a man called Matthew sitting at the tax booth. And he said to him, follow me. And he rose and followed him. Now, Matthew was a Jewish collaborator with the Rus- uh, Romans. And uh, that was supposed to be a joke. <laughs> Nobody got in the first verse either. In fact, he was almost certainly a Levite, okay? A Levite, he should have been working in the temple, being about the Lord's work. Instead, he was connected to the evil Romans. The Jews hated him. At least the religious folk did. Matthew would have no doubt heard of Jesus. So when Jesus said to Matthew, a moi, he said, follow me, accompany me, attend with me, go with me. This phrase, "a moi," is an imperative. An imperative is like an exclamation point. It is a directive. Follow me, Matthew. What did Matthew do? He rose up from his table, left everything he knew behind. That was a bold move. That's what it means to follow Jesus. It is leaving behind everything to follow Him. There's a retired man that I've given a little counsel with, and um, he is bored and he needs to earn some money again. He's got to go back to work. Except for there's a problem. Anybody here retired and you had to and you pick up some work later on. The problem is, and you probably will agree with this. He was at an age where he was, did not want to deal with the man anymore. He had dealt with the man his whole life. He was sick of dealing with the man. So he's like, I don't want to work here. I don't want to work here. I don't want to work here because I don't want some young guy telling me, you've got to be here at 8 o'clock sharp. you got to, you know. He's like, I don't, want, I don't want to hear that stuff. I want to do my thing. I'm like, you've got you to gotta work for the man, you know. The, and, and the problem with, with um, this guy is that his focus is on the wrong thing. When Jesus calls you to follow him, what, what you should be saying is not which man do I have to work for, but I now work for the king of kings. That whatever job you work at, whatever job the Lord leads you to, that's his mission field. You know, if it's if to it's be an employee at Lowe's, he's not working for the man, he's working for the king. And Lowe's is his mission field. If he's a greeter at Walmart, Walmart becomes his mission field. You know, See what I'm saying with that? When you follow Christ, you leave those things behind, those preferences. And you say, Lord, where do you want me to serve you and have an impact for you? Jesus wants you to die to yourself and leave it all. Let go of your grasp on creative things and walk along his path too. And walk along his path only. When I was in South America, I think I've shared this before, the Hindus have these wheels with all these statues of gods, these different gods they put on their shelves. And, and uh, a Hindu will gladly accept Jesus. Oh, yeah, I'll accept Jesus as my Savior. Just stick him on the shelf with the other ones. But if I was to say to that Hindu, no, 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 no. The Lord wants you to get rid of all those little gods in your circle, and Jesus only. Most likely, the per- unless there's something supernatural going on, the person will probably say, "Nope, not doing it." I'll add them to the shelf, but not exclusively. We have a lot of those little idols that pop up. And how I know, how you know if you have an idol is what is it you're defending? You know, a person when they're trying to protect an idol, they become offended and very defensive of their idol. For men, it might be a thing like respects. And if your wife disrespects you, when you lash out at her, you're that shows you, oh, I have the idol of self going on here. i got to get rid of that thing. Jesus wants us to cast off all created things, make them way secondary to him. That's what it means to follow him. That's what Matthew did. He, wo- he rose up boldly, left it all behind, and followed him. When I go hiking at Shades, there are trail numbers on some of the trails. I like trail number 2. If you ever hike the shades, and uh, I like to follow that. And Jesus also has a trail tag or a trail number. It's not a number, but it's a cross. And Jesus wants you to walk his trail, to follow him, to Akaluthai Moi, follow him, to come with him, to walk his trail, to stay on his trail. Question is, will you walk his trail? Or are you so stubborn that you only want to walk your own trail, make your own path in life? Verse 10. And as Jesus reclined at table in the house, now let me put that in street terms, he relaxed at Matthew's place. He chillaxed at Matthew's house. Matthew was so excited about his love for Jesus, or was it that he realized Jesus loved him, that he threw a party, a huge meet and greet, for Jesus. Luke five twenty nine clarifies that Matthew threw a big party for Jesus. That party revolved around come and meet Jesus. I kind of like that. Throw a party for Jesus. Invite people from all walks to come and meet this guy. Matthew, the new convert, had fun. He liked to have fun. And Jesus, if you note, know, he went. He didn't poo poo the idea of Matthew having a party. Last week, um, Shelly's boss, Jack, likes to invite us to go to French Lick to the resort casino down there. And um, there's there's some people that have an issue with casinos and and that thing. I get that. Um, But man, it is, for us, it is the French Lick outreach. And um, we were sitting at a country club at Hagen's, and I was so excited about something that the lord was teaching me devotions that during dinner i decided to talk a little bit about jesus now i didn't do a whole lecture it was probably i don't know 20 minutes straight no, i'm just kidding it was probably like 30 seconds maybe or something like that and after i stopped everybody was like yeah whatever and they just didn't care and i'm like okay i was done sharing my excitement and then we just went out with dinner but i, I kind of listened afterwards you know is there an open door is someone gonna want to hear more about this and something interesting happened uh, we just loved on the people and we didn't shove anything but i was excited so i talked a little bit about what i was excited about and uh one woman said oh, i'd like to we'd like to come check out your church i'm like well cool that's cool and another guy um opened up like crazy about um some of the ptsd stuff he's been really struggling with and um he has to be my friend on facebook like right afterwards I'm like sweet you know maybe we'll have more opportunities to talk about the lord in the future you know um i was pretty excited but it wasn't really hard i guess it was kind of like i love jesus i was just kind of sharing hey i'm excited about this stuff with him it wasn't like some kind of formula and and they didn't mind it at least i don't think they did <laughs> Shelly you know better than i did but um you know i kind of like that he had a party um it's a great way to build rapport and connect people uh for us to throw a party like that might look like inviting someone to come here to worship and and uh celebrate jesus together you know this is kind of a party in here we sing songs have fun talking. Uh JD's always really bitter. That's what you feel like. About I try to start my sermon and everybody keeps talking. <laughs> no, that's a that's a good thing is everybody's excited to see you. It's like a little party here every Sunday. And um you know, invite someone to come and worship Jesus with you. Uh invite someone who's broken or or knows they're broken it's a small group. Invite the rejects of society. Uh, have a party and invite some believers who represent Christ well to meet your lost friends and, and let them build a relationship together. Have fun with it. Let it over, your overflowing doesn't have to be boring. Have a good time with it. The verse says this. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. You know, letting others share in your joy about Jesus get a little bit sloppy sometimes people are sloppy and sometimes people with sloppy issues who are hurting who are broken those are the ones that are ready to respond to Jesus they're people with issues with hearts open to the Lord and sometimes they're broken enough to actually hear However, just to warn you, there are some neat freaks out there. These are the Pharisees or the separatists. They're the ones who focus on 2 Corinthians 6.17 that says, come out and be separate. And that becomes their whole life verse, is to separate themselves. They are the people who look to one-up people and point out what they should trust the Holy Spirit with. In fact, did you know most great evangelists who overflowed effectively were criticized for their efforts? They had such a love for Jesus that they did something about it, and they were criticized. D.L. Moody had such a passion for children that he would bring the sloppy kids, the dirty street kids, to church and do Sunday school, and people would come up and criticize him. You know, "We we don't like your method. What's your method? I don't have one. Well, I like mine better. He would go and bring in the unwelcomes to church to hear about the Lord. You ever hear of Jay Overholzer? Anybody ever hear of him before? He started a ministry, CEF. Ever hear of Child Evangelism Fellowship? Anybody ever hear of that? Hopefully, I've done announcements. of He was sharply criticized for ministering to children. The belief in his circles, in his day, was that children can't receive Christ, so don't waste your time ministering to the children. They can't get it. And uh, he watched a child receive Christ and change his heart and have a ministry with his family. He thought, wow, children can accept Christ and change. So he started a ministry to children, and he was criticized by people. Billy Graham was poo-pooed by Bob Jones III and some of his cronies, I'll use. Bob Jones said, no man has done more harm to the cause of Christ than Billy Graham. I think the opposite may be true there. Personally, I think Billy Graham was very effective in sharing Christ. Anybody saved through Billy Graham in this sanctuary right now? No one influenced by him? One. Okay, got a couple people back there. Praise the Lord for Billy Graham. He was criticized. Ironsides. He was anti-productive in his area. Ironside stopped product productivity in some of the factories. He cost companies money due to the gospel. All right, He would come in and share the gospel, and these employees would sit around listening to the gospel instead of working. Do you think the owners of the factories appreciated that? No. But he still did it. Often other evangelists are seen as bad for the economy. Like a pastor around the Hudson Bay, Canada, up in Canada, uh, he was ministering to some Native Americans up there and um, guess what happened? The Spirit worked in power, and these people accepted the Lord. Sounds good, but imagine if you were a bar owner in that area. All the bars closed down because people's drug of choice became Jesus. And uh, do you think that made the bar owners happy? Not if they accepted the Lord, maybe, but I'm sure they are saying, now what am I going to do? How am I going to raise my family and support my, you know, make my house payments and my sled payments and things like that it would have ticked off some people but he still did it so i want to say overflow to the lost and forget the nitpickers if someone's critical of the way you share christ with someone blow them off what does the lord want you to do all right verse 11 and when the pharisees saw this they said to his disciples now notice they said it to the disciples they weren't strong enough to actually say it to jesus why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Those are both nouns, by the way. They've defined the people by that. But when he, Jesus, heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Clearly, Jesus didn't see these religious the Pharisees as well, did he? Right. Remember he called them whitewashed tombs. They look good. Their you know, monuments look nice, but inside they're full of... Dead men's bones, you know, nasty bones. Surely he didn't see them as well. Um, He knew they had major issues. Verse 13 says this. Go, he told them, and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice. For I came not to call the righteous but sinners. Let me rephrase that probably to maybe a little bit of I want I do this carefully a little bit of what he was kind of getting at here I came not to call those who think they're righteous because there's no one righteous but those who understand and know they are sinners the word mercy here means I desire pity I desire common or compassion a desire to re- uh, this mercy is a desire to relieve burdens. It's looking at someone saying, man, they could really use Jesus. One of my favorite musicians, Keith Green, sang a song, How Can They Live Without Jesus. You guys know this song? How can they live without Jesus? How can they live without God's love? How can they feel so at home down here when there's so much more up above? He had a passion. You would see people and think, man, how can they do it? How can they live without him? He was an overflower. Now, Jesus isn't saying that sacrifice is bad, being religious or or following what the Bible teaches isn't bad, but rather, mercy is never at the mercy of service, of sacrifice. Mercy is never at the mercy of sacrifice. The religious leaders had such big fences of their sacrificial living that mercy, there was no room for it when anyway, they will crush people under their religion. Now, Jesus here is quoting Hosea 6.6. 6. In Hosea 6.6, 6, the people's love uh, there was described as lasting as long as a morning cloud. The people were vile. They hurt other people but kept their religion. Folks around here, 90% from what we talked about last week, 90% of our county is headed to eternal separation from God. I'm on a counseling council at at Southmont School System, and in our studies, 25, did you know, 25% of Southmont sophomores in the last year have seriously considered committing suicide. One out of four. Marriages are falling apart in our county. Children are living lives of instability and fear. One of the main factors of kids not going to school is fear. That instability breeds fear. People are turning to drugs like heroin and meth to deal with their issues. Many struggle to make ends meet from week to week. My question is, is it their fault? My answer to that question is, I don't know. I'm not going to draw that judgment and that conclusion on anybody. But what I do know is that people are fumbling around in the dark. And if we don't get out there and let them experience Jesus, they will continue in that dark for all eternity. So what are you going to do about it? Here we honor Harvesters being on gospel mission in their daily lives. Not that JD does all the work of evangelism or myself. What harvesters, us, are on gospel mission. We are bringing, overflowing into the lives of others in our daily lives, in our spheres of influence. And I'm going to soapbox for a moment. I hear a lot of complaining about Pelosi and Schumer, and there's a lot of people... Bob, everybody lines about politics. I don't know if you picked up on that nowadays. <laughs> you know, if that person's not about changing culture by bringing Jesus, in my opinion, Jesus is the hope of our culture. He is the one who changes hearts. He is the one who changes minds. Not Washington, but the real king of kings, Jesus. And when I hear someone complain about Pelosi or whatever the deal is, If they're not out sharing Jesus, their opinion means nothing to me. In fact, I would say someone who complains without trying to at least get Christ out there, that person is part of the problem. If they're complaining and not being a part of his kingdom work, that person who's speaking to me is the issue with our society. So what are you going to do about it? Now, there's several people in the Bible, you don't, you don't have to throw a party for Jesus. Let me give you a couple different ways to overflow your love for Jesus into the lives of people. Matthew threw a party. Maybe Anybody here like a Matthew, you'd like to throw a party and have, have those who need Christ come over and hang out with you? That's a fun way, probably all of us like that, unless you're an introvert. Uh, Peter was another one in Acts chapter 2, maybe you're more like Peter. He was a bold proclaimer. He was someone who liked to have bold conversation just lay the gospel out there anybody here like that you just like to get to the point and talk about jesus and, and get to anybody raise your hand no one otherwise you would have frozen your hand all right you don't have not everybody's like that and that's okay you don't have to feel that pressure to overflow in that method if you want to great if you don't want to there's different ways maybe you're more like paul paul was the intellectual or the debater in act 17 he was discussing with the philosophers in Athens, sitting around talking about the depths of, of existence and things like that. Uh, that would be someone um, maybe like a Robbie Zacharias or a Brittany Carpenter or someone like that. Anybody here like to have deep intellectual or I guess they're called apologetical discussions? Anybody like to be apologetic? It's too close to apologize because I don't like to apologize for the gospel. Um, maybe that's you. Another man, there's a blind man and who... In John chapter 9, he had a testimony. He said, I don't know who this Jesus, but all I know is I was blind, and now I see. He shared how the Lord changed his life. And um, we did something like that at the Fall Fest. Remember cardboard testimonies? That was, how many of you held up cardboard? Some of you guys did there. And we held these cardboard testimonies. Here's what I was like, and here's how Christ changed me. That's a great way to do it. Share your story. Man, I've got to tell you how the Lord has worked in my life, how he's changed me, how I'm different now. Another person is found in Acts 9. Another method is Dorcas. Don't name your kids Dorcas, but she liked to serve people. She liked to get out there and love on people. Let me do this. Let me bless you. It's a fun and very fulfilling way to overflow into the lives of others. I would just encourage you, make sure you get to the point where you can share the message with them as well. Then there's the Sumerian woman. Jesus met her, in, and you see it in John chapter 4, and she was so excited. She went back to the village. You know, she was living in immorality, and she went back. Boy, he's told me everything I did wrong, and, and, you know, come check this Jesus out. And she was really excited. That's a great way to do it. Here's how Jesus is working in my life. Here's what he's teaching me now, is maybe the conversation you would have there some people are the bold advancers uh, Jesus said in Luke 5 I tell you you are Peter on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell will not overcome it some people like to go out and they like to advance the gospel they like gates of hell huh well let's storm those gates of hell and they like to get out there and storm the gates here's this type of person might be uh, someone who's involved in trinity that is front lines ministry uh rob one of the leaders out of trinity said my job here at trinity is much harder than your job as a pastor and i said to him hey i'm sure you're on the front lines man that is tough stuff you know this is the type of person that gets involved in trinity and mentors guys who are struggling and who who need to grow and and uh have jesus come and help them Another advancing ministry is Child Evangelism Fellowship. This week we're going to New Market Elementary where there's kids who haven't heard much about Jesus. Most of the kids there don't go to church at all and we're going to be storming the gates with CEF. Another awesome and hard ministry is maybe you get connected with Women's Resource Center. Talk about front lines work. These are some people who are really in crisis uh, cri- they're called CPCs for a reason, crisis pregnancy centers. What a great frontline advancing way to overflow. Another one that our church is really connected with is Pam's Promise. Women who are in a really hard situation, uh, Pam's Promise comes alongside of them to help them get stabilized and, and also to talk about Jesus and love on them with Christ's love. So there's many different ways to skin a cat. A lot of different ways to overflow into the lives of others. What are you going to do? What's your way that you can overflow to your friends and to your family? Those three people that I mentioned earlier. In conclusion, if there's any hope I had from this series, it's that you would fall in love with Jesus. And allow that love to, that passion, that excitement to overflow into your circles. Enjoy letting others hear how much Jesus has done for you. Get comfortable being seen as the peculiar friend or the weirdo. That's good stuff. That's going to happen. Embrace that. In fact, the scriptures call us peculiar people. I hope that you get a motto in your head Uh, maybe tattooed on your brain, each one, reach one. And also in this upcoming year, 2019 in the spring, we're going to be doing a series, um, an elective book study series, just to help us brainstorm and dig into this a little bit deeper called Becoming a Contagious Christian. There's a book out uh, with that title. But don't wait for the elective to overflow. Just start overflowing into the lives of others. Let that Jesus break free from the bushels of your life. Let's pray together. Father, once again, I want to thank you for your Holy Spirit. Your Holy Spirit that gives us that love. Your Holy Spirit that empowers us, gives us wisdom in words and thoughts and how to love people father i pray if, if i could pray one thing for this church this morning i pray that our love for jesus would grow powerful lord that we would be emotionally moved and delight in a close and closer relationship with Father, I pray that as a result of that, others would want to meet this Jesus as well. And Father, I thank you for our time this morning to worship you and now to close to sing our love for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.